I'm going to be using my electronic sword this morning, but I also have a paper sword in case that fails, so don't go anywhere without your sword. That was for Aaron, but he's not listening to me. He's talking to his fiance, but whatever. That's fine. That's fine. All right. Um, so today, uh, what I wanted to talk about was um, the, the fact that God really loves us. Okay? So that is going to be the big takeaway for today. So as you walk out, that if you don't remember anything else that I say, just remember that God really loves you. Okay? And this is significant because as Christ followers, we need to understand where our place is. We need to understand where we are positionally, you know, with Christ. And he and the reality is that he has chosen us, that he loves us, that he is for us and that he is with us. And this has been uh, just an amazing revelation for my life, an amazing revelation for a lot of my friends and people we know. Um, you know and I was praying uh, for this message as I was preparing. I was like, you know, God, was there a moment? Was there a moment when I finally got it? When I finally, there was that kind of light bulb moment that I kind of, instead of just in my brain, knowing that Jesus loves me, knowing that the Father loves me, that it kind of moved down into my heart. And I, I, don't, I don't remember, like, this one kind of big moment. And for some people I know, there was, they had this encounter. Maybe they're up in Toronto, and, you know, the, the Spirit of God just falls on them. And all of a sudden, they're changed in the blink of an eye, and they have this revelation of God's love. But for me, it was a much slower process. And I knew, I grew up in a Christian home. I heard the Bible. I went to church. I knew that Jesus loved me. I sang the song. I was, I, I knew what was going on. And yet, the fruit of it in my life wasn't there. And so, as I got recommitted my life to God like 18 years ago. It was right around when the, the renewal was happening in Toronto. And we were just kind of inundated with the love of God through worship. We were inundated with it through, you know, the preaching of the word. And it just slowly kind of moved down from this kind of, yeah, I know that Jesus loves me, but I'm still kind of nervous and scared and worried and I don't think he's going to take care of me and what if all this bad stuff happens. Kind of, and then it moves down into my heart where I'm like, able to just really rest in that presence and just to be able to really rest in that love of God and just allow it to affect all of the areas of my life. You know, it allows me to to get up here and go, man, even if I completely bomb this, even if I completely botch this, you know what? I am still the child of God who is accepted and is loved. So... And it also, as a, as a parent and as a husband, it, it just allows you to kind of give of yourself when you know that God loves you, when you know that you have been chosen and called by God. It allows you to have the boldness to love other people, you know, like you couldn't do if you were always kind of trying to protect yourself and you were always trying to, to make sure that, you know, people saw you as okay. It allows me to humble myself, to serve Amber, to serve the kids, to serve this church much, much better than I ever could if I didn't know the love of God. 
And so today, that's what I kind of want us to kind of go on this journey. We're going to look at Psalm 23, which is a very common psalm. It's probably something that most of us have all already read, or maybe we've read it a million times. We already understand it. But I want to just go through it in a slower way. And we're just going to kind of move through it, and we're going to try to understand, you know, what did the author, what did King David think when he wrote these things? Or what did the people who would have recited this psalm or sang this song on their way as they worshipped God? You know, what would they have been thinking by this imagery and these metaphors that King David uses in this psalm? So we're going to kind of look at it from that perspective, and we're also going to try to go, well, this is what it said to to King David. This is what it said to the Israelites some 3,000 years ago. But is it still applicable to my life, you know, in the year 2013 as a modern Christian? Is this still something that can affect me, that something that we as Christians can latch on to? And so this is uh, a psalm, and it really speaks of the love and, and the care of God for David. And it just talks about David's trust in God. And we're just going to jump into it. We're just going to read through the whole psalm, and then we're just going to go through it a little bit slowly here. So, Psalm 23, just six verses, uh, says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So good. Um, Just that is so good. I'm reading from the NIV. And as an aside, when I got saved, uh, my dad gave me an NIV Bible. And I, and I came to church and I was all excited. And uh, somebody said, What's, oh, this is your Bible? He's like, let's get you a real Bible. And they kind of set the NIV to the side and they get me a New King James Version, which is apparently the approved Bible. No. Um, but I've, I've come back to the NIV. I like it. So we don't read the NIV all the time here. Anyway, that was free. That was free. Sorry. Um, so, the Lord is my shepherd. And the, the fact that the, the, the David or the Israelites call the Lord their shepherd would have been really significant. Um, for these uh, ancient people, the, the Lord or Yahweh, he was the focus. He was the center of all of their life. He was the one that they, they worshipped. He was the one that they sang about. He was the one that they told the stories of. You know, he brought the, the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. Right? He is the one who parted the Red Seas. This is the God who created everything that we can see and everything that we can't see. This is a God who rains fire down on the city of Sodom. Like, this God is intense. And yet, they also refer to him as a shepherd who is this, the, this humble uh, servant who takes care of the, the animals out in the field. It's this idea of that, there's, that God is not only the big creator of everything, but he has an intimate relationship with me. And as we read through this psalm, we 
can see that David seems to be talking about a very personal and a very intimate relationship that he has with the Lord. There's other psalms that talk about the Lord being the, the shepherd of the nation of Israel, and that's true. The Lord you know, takes care of his people. But in this psalm, it really seems like David is talking about this intimate, one-on-one relationship. And so the Lord reveals himself to David as this humble shepherd, this one who is willing to lead him and guide him and care for him and protect him. And this, uh, this metaphor, this idea that the Lord was a shepherd uh, was not new. Uh, actually, people in that time referred to other deities and other kings as uh, as shepherds, so it was kind of a relatively common metaphor, and it wasn't even uh, something new that David came up with. Oh, the Lord is my shepherd, because back in the times of, of the patriarchs, back in Genesis 48:15, uh, Jacob is blessing his son Joseph, and once again he refers to the the, the God of my father Abraham, the God of my father Isaac, um, who has been my shepherd all of my life. And so there's this always this idea in the past, you know, that God is a shepherd and He takes care of him. But I don't. I want to kind of highlight that we can't kind of move past the significance of that. That we can kind of embrace this idea that the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is for me, and that he takes care of me. And he goes on to say that I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And so David speaks and he gives us these pictures and this idea of abundance and rest and refreshment. And David seems to be, or he is proclaiming that God has not held back anything that's good from him. He's given me everything I need. And as we kind of look at this from the point of view of a sheep, you know, what? What better place could there be? You know, the, the, the shepherd has brought them to uh, lie down in green pastures. So it gives us this idea that the sheep are kind of done eating, you know, and now they're lying down. They're not worried about predators. They're not worried about what's happening. They're just in peace. They're in the, the presence of their shepherd, and they're able to lay down. And there's all this green grass. There's an abundance of food, and there's this stream of water, and they can just, you know, there's abundant water. And then David says, you know, and he refreshes my soul. And I don't know if sheep need refreshing of their souls. I don't know if sheep have souls. Probably not. I think that's our our stand, that they do not have souls. Um, um, So, but David certainly would have uh, appreciated some refreshing. This guy, you know, he would have been really busy. He probably had a lot going on. He was, you know, the king of the nation of Israel in like 1000 BC. And, you know, so he's organizing, you know, the government and he's waging wars and, you know, he's dealing with political intrigue. He's dealing with all this stuff, right? And so for him, it's probably, he was really looking forward to a time of refreshing, you know, and I know that even in my life, you know, I don't lead a nation. But, you know, after, you know, a long work week, you know, on Friday or Saturday night, man, you just want to, you just want to relax and you just need some refreshment, you know. And so for me, you know, a lot of times I'll get home and I'm like, I just don't want to do anything. You know, I just want to relax. I'm just going to kick back and I'm going to, I'm just going to watch some TV and I'm literally not going to do anything. And... 
just so you know, I'm not about to come down on people that watch TV. I'm not against TV. I think we need to be careful about what we consume. But, so you get home from work and you just want to rest. You just want to relax. And so you just kind of kick back in your easy chair and you just turn on the TV and, you know, you watch a show or you watch two shows. But you still, maybe you're not able to, to fully unwind. You're not able to fully relax. And what I've found in my life is that when I... I'm willing to engage with God, when I'm willing to step into his presence, it's only in, in that place where I'm able to truly be refreshed. It's only in that place where I'm able to truly relax. And there's times to watch TV and that, that's fine. But it's in God's presence where you are really going to find refreshment. You know, and I think that, that David kind of reveals this idea that it's in God's presence that he is able to find refreshment. It's being able to lie down in God's presence. It's being able to trust that his shepherd is taking care of him. And it's in that place where he finds refreshment. And so, practically, for a practical application for us, you know, it might feel after work that it's, ah, oh, it's difficult, you know, I don't want to work to get back into God's presence so I can find refreshment. I think it's actually a lot easier than that. I think that we can, you know, if we're stressed out, you know, we face a lot of things. Maybe we had a, a conflict with somebody, a coworker, or, you know, maybe some deal that we were trying to make went bad and things went sour. Or maybe it was just kind of this tumultuous time and whatever happened and you're just kind of stressed out and you're like, I just want to forget about it. But we can come to God and just say, you know, God, here I am. And just take five minutes, ten minutes, a half hour, whatever, and just say, God, I just need your refreshing right now. I just need your presence. I just need to come in to that green pasture, God. I just need to drink from the quiet waters right now, God. And would you come and refresh me? And it's in that place, it's in that place that we can find real peace. Because what I found in my life is that the other things that I run to for peace are, they're just not real. They're just, they don't satisfy. They don't, you know, kind of deal with the issues going on in our hearts. And so David is inviting us into kind of, he's like, you know, the Lord is who refreshes our soul. And it is the Lord who leads and refreshes and guides. And this wasn't something that David worked up or created, but it's just God's heart for David, and it's God's heart for us today. And then in verse 4, things change slightly. The picture changes a little bit, and it says, um, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And David would have been no stranger to difficult times. You know, he was, you know, as a, as a young man, he, he served King Saul, but then when King Saul started getting jealous, he, he chased David all over the countryside. For years, David had to, you know, hide out in the wilderness from King Saul, you know, and he, you know, had to deal with, you know, wars. He had to deal with an adulterous affair that he had. He, he murdered somebody. You know, he deal, dealt with a lot of stuff. One of his sons rebelled from him, tried to take over the nation. And so David was a man who knew what it meant to kind of be in trouble. He knew what it meant to kind of walk through this valley. 
And yet, in, in this part of the psalm, we see the pronouns change from, you know, he leads, he makes me lie down, he refreshes, you know, he guides. And then here in verse 4, he says that, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so it moves from this kind of proclamation of all the good things that the Lord has done for me, that now David is moving into a new season. He's moving into this dark valley where maybe he's a little bit nervous, maybe he's a little bit scared. And at this point, he draws on that intimate relationship that he has built with God. He no longer is talking about God, but he's talking directly to God. He's giving us a glimpse of how it was that he was able to kind of press through these dark situations that he faced in his life. And he faced some really, really difficult stuff. And in the same way, you know, you and I are going to go through difficult seasons. We're going to go through stuff that maybe we can't quite get our mind around. We can't quite understand why God is leading us down this valley. Why are you doing this? You know, maybe, you know, if you've lost a job, maybe you don't know how you're going to make your next mortgage payment. You know, uh, your, your kids have abandoned the faith. You don't know where they're at. You don't know what's going on. You're nervous about them. You know, maybe there, there's trouble in your marriage. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. There's these dark situations and it seems that God could snap his finger and he could change everything. But for some reason, he doesn't. But, you know, the reality is, as we read through all of Scripture, we never see God promise that, man, once you believe in me, once you trust in me, everything is going to be smooth. Everything is going to be easy. You know, we see this, you know, here in David's life, that, you know, David was the, the man, you know, who God just loved and adored. You know, the, the Bible talks about how much God loved David. And yet, David went through some incredibly, incredibly difficult situations. And we see this in, in the life of Paul. You know, he was the man who wrote, you know, a majority of the New Testament. You know, it seems that if God is going to bless and take care of somebody, certainly he's going to take care of Paul. But we see Paul being shipwrecked and beaten. We see him being stoned and we see him, you know, being cursed, right? And yet, in every situation, he learned to trust in God. You know, whether everything was going great or everything was going poorly, he was able to hold on to his relationship with God. And so I just want to encourage us that this is the stance that we can take as as we kind of face these dark situations, as we face the valleys in our life, you know, as we face, you know, maybe you're uh, a, a young girl and suddenly you're, you're pregnant and you don't know what's going on and you're scared and you're single, what's going to happen? You know, can you trust God in that situation? Can you go, you know what, God, I don't understand this. I do not want to walk through this valley, but I know that you're with me. I know that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And even in the psalm it says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, the reality is, and David knew it, that the valley was not the end place. This is not where he was going to stay. He was going to move through this valley. And he was never going to be abandoned there. And he knew that even in every situation, God was there with his staff, 
he was there with his with his rod and he was going to to protect him even in that dark place and so I just want us to remember that it's the intimacy with God that helps us to walk through those situations. Um, and then in verse 5, the analogy changes again. We're no longer apparently with uh, the shepherd, though actually some people still think this is an analogy of, of the shepherd. Kind of a different opinion. But it seems to me that the this, the picture changes uh, in verse 5, uh, and it changes to a, the picture of a, of a banquet, that David is the guest. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Excuse me. <laughs> and in ancient Israel... The you know inviting somebody to your house well, to eat was a real honor, and then on top of that, you know anointing the head was uh, with oil was was customary treatment for an honored guest, and so we see David being invited into God's you know into God's throne room into his his banquet hall, and God has spread out this this uh, this feast before him and has placed David there as the guest of honor. And we can kind of understand, we can kind of get this idea that, you know, maybe God has let me into the kingdom. You know, may, I'm saved, I believe in Jesus, and, you know, maybe I'm just kind of squeaking into the kingdom. You know, maybe he's going to allow me to, to come up and maybe kind of clean up after, you know, the important people. You know, or maybe, you know, I'm just going to kind of, kind of come in at the very end and maybe I can have some scraps of food that are left over. But this picture is this idea of David being invited into the house of the most important person in the universe. And he is the guest of honor. You know, and that is, it's amazing. You know, and all that, that God is saying is that I just value you, David. I honor you. You are important to me. And maybe we can kind of go, well, King David, you know, every, you know, Jesus, or God obviously liked David, you know, and so that makes sense that he would be invited in, but I'm not going to get to sit in that place of honor. I don't get to have a banquet put out before me. You know, but David struggled with stuff too. David had issues, you know, he had an adulterous affair. He murdered somebody. He, he had stuff in his life that was not good. He had sin, just like you and I have. And yet, his heart was to have intimate relationship with God. His heart was to run after God with all that he had, even when he'd fallen, even when he'd made a mistake. He would come back to the Lord. And God just honored that and valued that. And so I just believe the reality is that he wants to bring you into that place as well. If we jump real quickly into the New Testament, in Ephesians, and get out your swords. Um, we're, first, we're going to, in chapter 2, verse 6, it says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And so, in a real way, you and I somehow, right now, even though we're sitting here in New Day Community Church, in some way, you and I are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. He has provided a banquet for us. So let's just jump back into chapter 1. 
in starting in verse 3, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Man, this is intense. You know, we are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ right now. And in front of us is every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. You know, we want to go, we go, well, yeah, it makes sense that God chose David because David was really important and David was really great. But this verse says that God has chosen you and God has chosen me. He has predestined us to be his sons and his daughters. He has called us and he is not willing that any one of us would get away. In, the, in verse 6 of Psalm 23, it says, um, I got slightly ahead of myself. Verse 6 says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And this this verb, follow, elsewhere can be uh, translated to pursue or to chase. And it is this picture of a, like a convict or a prisoner, somebody who has escaped, that you know, the authorities are chasing them down, the authorities are pursuing them. So in the same way, when you or I, when we decide that oh, we're going to kind of go over here, we're going to go kind of sample this, or you know, I'm going to kind of get, leave the throne room here, and I'm going to go dabble in this area, or I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to follow my own way for a while. You know, this psalm says that God pursues us with his love and with his goodness. He is not willing that one of his little ones would perish. You know, he is going to leave the 99 as the, as the uh, what are those called, parables say. You know, he's going to leave the 99 and he's going to go look for that one sheep that is lost. And he is going to rejoice when he finds it. And so if you think, oh, God doesn't care about me. You know, God isn't worried about me. You know, I'm not important. You know, this Bible verse is speaking to you. You know, this verse right here, the Apostle Paul is speaking to you. He's telling you that Jesus Christ and the Father God, the creator of the universe, has chosen you. He has called you. And he has invited you to come sit in his throne room. And he has provided a spiritual feast for you. He has provided you everything that you need. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And he has seated you at the right hand of King Jesus. You have unprecedented access to the Lord. You are the one that he loves. You are the one that he wants to shepherd. You are the one that he cares about. You are the one that he wants to stand with as you walk through whatever your valley is. You are the one that he said, I am going to give up everything for you. And in the, in the book, Opening Up Psalms, uh, a gentleman by the name of Ellsworth says this uh, regarding Psalm 23. Christians cannot read David's words without having their thoughts immediately rise to these words from the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep.
And through his redeeming death on the cross, Christ purchased his sheep. The wrath of God was, as it were, hurtling towards them, and Jesus stepped between them and the wrath and absorbed it on their behalf. Man, for each one of us, Jesus took the wrath of God. You know, we've probably all seen that movie where, you know, maybe there's a, there's a guy with a gun. You know, Josh and I just watched a movie the other day and, and there's this cowboy movie and this, there, there's a gunfight and we thought it was over, but then the bad guy pulls his pistol out and takes a shot and this little boy just kind of leaps in front of the bullet and takes the bullet for the, for the gunfighter. And it's always just an intense moment, right? When we see, man, somebody who didn't deserve it, somebody, this little innocent kid, took the bullet that was meant for this other guy. And in the same way, the wrath of God was hurtling towards you. And Jesus, at the last moment, steps in and takes it all upon himself. He takes it all on his shoulders. Because he's chosen you to be his son. He's chosen you to be his daughter. And he wants to bring you into his presence. He wants you to understand what it's like to have somebody that you can trust at your side. He wants you to know that no matter what this life gives you, that he is with you and he is bringing you through. He has a hope for you. He has a promise for you. And he has a destiny that is going to be good and is going to be glorious. Yeah, thanks, God. And so let's just close our eyes this morning. And this, you know, I can, I can stand up here and we can talk about the love of God, but what we need is for the Spirit to move that kind of idea that, yeah, I know God loves me, and to move it down into our hearts. And so we're probably all kind of on different levels in this area. Some of us have really had an amazing experience, an amazing revelation of the heart of God for us. And some of us are still kind of, you know, kind of testing the waters, and maybe we're still a little bit nervous. We're still not sure that God is really going to come through for us. We're not positive that he's going to actually do what he said he was going to do. And so let's just close our eyes. Let's invite Jesus just to come and reveal himself as your shepherd. So Jesus, would you just come right now? Jesus, would you come and reveal to our hearts what it means that you are our shepherd? Jesus, will you help us to know that you love us, that you are for us, that you are with us? Jesus, come and reveal your great love for every person here this morning. Come and break through every barrier that we use to keep you at arm's length. And just come and reveal the depth of your love. And if you're in the midst of a valley right now, you know, maybe it's a, a job issue or a marriage or your kids or a sickness or whatever. Let's just make a choice this morning to choose to trust him. Just say, Jesus, I choose to believe that you are in this valley with me. That we're going to see this through together. That you are not going to leave me and you're not going to abandon me.
We trust you, Jesus. God, and I just pray that every person here, God, as we leave church this morning, as we go into our work week, God, that you would just plant this inside of our hearts, God. That we would know that we know that we know that you are for us and that you are with us. Yeah, so thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen.